This podcast is brought to you by copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. Hey, Pat. Welcome to the show today. Thanks, Daryl. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm excited because I'm actually on your podcast uh, in the same month. Uh, so I'm excited that you're on mine too, and, and you're going to be joining us on the Copy Blogger podcast today. And you and I have been working together on, on many fun projects, and I'm excited to talk a little bit about some of those and to talk a little bit more about podcasting today and, and the new content strategy that you've implemented on Smart Passive Income. Yeah, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I've been an entrepreneur and a content creator for about 11 years. Uh, a lot has changed over these years. Um, I remember back in the good old days when it was just a blog and a blog alone, and you just pump out as much content as you can and, and you'd win. And now it's a lot different and strategies have changed and platforms have changed. I'm excited to dive into all that today. Yeah, we've been talking about that a lot, how much things have changed than how some of it is exactly the same. The way that you know we write and how words matter and all of it is intended to create this connection with the person who's reading it. And, and I love how none of that has changed, but there have become a little bit more advanced strategies as our businesses have grown, as we've grown as a culture and society, as we've decided to begin consuming content in different ways, as technology has grown around us. There's been so many different changes. Uh, but 11 years is a long time, man. If you think about it, you made it all the way through the 2010s, somehow creating content and having a business <laughs> around it. <laughs> I went to a conference once and somebody was like, oh my gosh, it's Pat Flynn. You're a legend. And I'm like, you're making me sound so old right now. But with how fast things move, I guess that makes sense. And I've been one of the ones that have been here for a while and I've stuck it through and I've changed a few things here and there, but I've always been the same me and I've always been trying to do what I do best, which is make connections to people who need help. And that just makes its way through. Cause like you, th like you said, a lot of technology has changed, but the thing that remains is people need help. People want to get stuff that will be useful for them in their lives. And we as content creators, we can step up and do that in all different kinds of ways these days. Okay, so let's talk about the podcast because I think that's the the area that so many people know you for is your smart passive income podcast, the uh, Ask Pat podcast, and then teaching about podcasts as well. Uh, a lot of people have started podcasts. A lot of people want to start podcasts. Tell me about the genesis of your podcast. Uh, what year did it start and why did you choose that as a medium when you could have done a couple different types of mediums at that point? Yeah, so I, I started out after I got laid off from architecture back in 2008 with a blog. And that blog was basically to document how I escaped uh, getting laid off and starting my own business in the architecture space. And then SPI, Smart Passive Income, uh, began and it, it began to grow and it was just a blog only. But I had always in the back of my head said, I want to start a podcast because actually when I started my journey, it was a podcast that really changed my life where I learned a lot of internet business tactics and ways that I could help people online, which really saved me. Uh, kudos what podcast to, was it, that? It, it was called Internet Business Mastery by Jason and Jeremy. And I, I really got to know them. And the cool thing about the podcast when I think back is like, I really became like a huge fanboy of them simply because I was listening to their podcast. I didn't even, I never met them in person until much later. And that is how I knew about the power of podcasting. It was like, I got to almost feel like they were friends of mine, even though I never had a direct conversation. That's how intimate it felt. So I always knew I wanted to start a show. So at 
the end of 2008, I actually bought all this equipment. I spent like hundreds of dollars on gear and, and software to edit my show and I was getting ready to get it up there. And I recorded a little audio file of just an announcement that my podcast was coming. And I shared this to like the 10 people who were on SPI at the time. And it was just, the, it's the worst piece of audio you could ever imagine. Just stuttery, no no confidence and and the quality was good. I had good uh, equipment, but I just had no idea what I was doing. But I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. Get ready for it, guys. And that was December of 2008. My first episode came out in July of 2010 (laughs) because I was so scared of what everybody was going to think about my show and my voice. And I had no idea what I was doing. The technology was much harder back then. So every time I tried to start my show, I get scared and run back to my safety blanket of a blog. But then something uh, funny really happened. I just said, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to hit publish and go and just see what happens. And I'm very thankful I did that. And even though I was publishing a podcast every other week and blogging three times a week, I went to a conference a couple months later after my show came out and the people who knew me there could not stop talking about the podcast, podcast this, podcast that. Oh, I love that story about this or that story you told on the show about that. And I'm like, that's great, but what about my blog? I'm blogging way more. Like, can we talk about that? And they're like, well, I mean, that's fine, but your podcast is amazing. And I was like, oh man, there's something here. Maybe I need to flip the switch a little bit. So I went and doubled down on the podcast. I started publishing every single week and have now since, been doing so every single week for the last, you know, almost decade now. And it's what I've become known for. We just passed 65 million downloads for that show. We created a new show called Ask Pat, sort of like a coaching call that you can listen in on that came out in 2014, which has tens of millions of downloads as well. Um, I don't know if you know this, Daryl, but I am also the host of three other podcasts and I may be coming out with a sixth. It's just, just, it's just become my favorite way to create content. And even though I was not a great speaker, not a great communicator back then, the platform of podcasting has helped me become a better communicator and I have now confidence to get on stages. Uh, it has opened up opportunities for me to get on other stages, to write books, to travel around the world and do keynotes uh, and even some random crazy stuff that happened in Hollywood as a result of, again, the podcast. And I just highly recommend people pay attention to it because it's, it's, it's like I said, the most in, it, it's it's this, the most scalable way to it, it's the best way to scale intimacy and you get that one-on-one connection from the listener's perspective but from a creator's perspective i mean i can have quote-unquote one-on-one conversations with every time i come out with a new episode on wednesday a hundred thousand people at a time and just the connections that you make with people when i meet my fans who listen to the show in person we're already talking like we've been friends forever and they know about things like they've, we've been friends forever and I, and I love that and, and I'm all in on podcasting and now I'm teaching it to others too and it's, it's my favorite thing. So what's really funny is I actually did the same thing as you uh, except for I never published those episodes that I recorded oh, no. and, I, and I learned about it from watching YouTube videos that you had posted about how to start a podcast a uh, long, long time ago. Uh, and, or blog post or some, some sort of content that you created that was about it. I went and spent hundreds of dollars on equipment and I never published those episodes. I'm so glad that uh, I now have this opportunity with the copy blogger podcast uh, because I love it so much. And, and same kind of thing, Pat. I feel like the way that I've connected with so many people over the last few months since I've taken over this show is because of this podcast. And it's really great. Um, but I have a question here because podcasting, it felt like a new frontier maybe three or four years ago when you know your show and other shows of people that I knew like I would go in the top 
25 or 50 shows of all of, of all of Apple. And there would be like the faces of my friends and people that I knew. And now it seems like everybody has a podcast, like Katie Kirk has a show now and, uh, Pro Conan athletes O'Brien. have a show, Conan yeah. O'Brien and Dax Shepard and, you know, Mark Maron has been doing it for a long time, but the comedians like that, like they have all these podcasts and people who are famous and people who we don't even really want to hear from have podcasts now too. Uh, there's true crime podcasts and all kinds of crazy stuff. It feels like it might be too late uh, for people. And I think that was probably what a lot of people who maybe have wanted to start a podcast, but haven't maybe saying in one block uh, of why they're doing it. And they're like, well, maybe I'll go to TikTok or something else instead, because that's like the new frontier. What would you say to people who say it's too crowded and it's too late and I've missed the boat on podcasting? Well, first I would question how much of a relationship could you build with a person on TikTok on the other end of TikTok? It's going to be much harder to do that. Um, the attention span on TikTok is seven seconds on a podcast. People are listening to your show for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, one hour, two hours. This is retention of your audience for tens of minutes, if not hours at a time. And you cannot get that kind of listenership or viewership or attention anywhere else. And it's because of the passive nature of the way that people are listening to the show. They're listening while they're on a walk uh, at the gym, uh, in a car ride or wherever. Just imagine where you're all listening to this right now. You can could probably probably couldn't do other things like you can listen to a podcast. So I just get really passionate about just that part of it. But in addition to that, when people tell me, well, it's kind of too late, then I go, okay, well, there's over 500 million active blogs out there. There's, I don't know, 100 million active YouTube channels, uh, a lot, millions. Do you know how many millions of podcasts there are, Daryl? No. How many? There's not even one million podcasts. Oh, wow. From the last data survey, there's not even one million active podcasts out there. I was like, I think it was 780,000 from what I last heard. I mean, it feels like a lot of people have it because that's what everybody's talking about these days. And you're seeing these celebrities. But here's another beautiful statistic. Most people are subscribed to just seven. And I say just seven because that's actually a lot. Seven shows. If you ask a normal podcast listener, what's the only show you subscribe to? They would go, I'm not just subscribed to one. I'm subscribed to several. So you're not actually competing with the other podcasts that are, that are out there. You can be complimentary or add to the playlists of podcasts that they're already listening to. So that defeats the whole, well, I can't do it because somebody else is doing it. You can do it too. And you can do it because there's a lot less competition out there. Where the struggle is for us podcasters, however, is findability. Um, we only see the ones that we see in the top 200 of different categories on Apple. We only see or, or hear what we hear from people at the water cooler about a podcast episode that we just heard. Um, now, however, it's getting a little bit better and we're starting to see major companies come on board to make podcast findability much easier. Search engines have always been a part of it. Apple is a search engine, obviously, and so is Google. And Google was driving traffic to podcasts, but now it's different. Now there's Google podcasts. Now podcasts are being indexed automatically into Google. You can even play a podcast from a Google search now. Google has said that by the end of the year 2022 or some, there was an article that came out that said they claimed that they were going to double the amount of podcast listeners by, you know, within a couple of years using their 
search algorithms. And that's really exciting because when you get Google behind something in terms of findability, I mean, they're the best in the game. You're even seeing Spotify come on board. Now you open up Spotify. Podcast is one of the major tabs up top that you could actually bring on board and, and actually start listening to. And what I love about all these celebrities coming on, a lot of people go, oh, it's getting crowded now. But when you imagine that people are subscribed to seven and that's the average. Some people I know are subscribed to 50 different podcasts. I'm like, what do you do all day other than listen to podcasts? What happens is Conan O'Brien comes on. He starts a show. He has millions of fans and followers on YouTube and on television. They all come into the podcasting world because now they have a reason to go understand what a podcast is. And now they go, oh, my gosh, there's so much stuff here. Like, I'm going to look up blogging. And guess what happens when you look up blogging on Apple? You find my show. So Conan's bringing new people into my world. Zach Shepard's giving, giving me more people. All these true crime fiction podcasts are bringing new people into my world. I saw a spike when Serial came out in 2014 or 15 or whenever that was. And we're starting to see more and more of that. And more and more people are listening to podcasts now, which is like the most amazing thing. So hopefully that debunks any sort of, well, I'm too late. I think that's just I'm a little scared of dedicating time into something that I don't think is going to pay me back. But I mean, connections, as we said earlier, are the most important thing. And what better way to do it than with no pants on? Because nobody will know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I just counted. I have 20, 26 I'm subscribed to. So I, I'm above average. <laughs> you are above average. What, what are some of your favorite podcasts, Pat? I mean, I love uh, Amy Porterfield's podcast. I mean, the one that I've been religiously subscribing to and listening to all the time is Sean Stevenson, uh, Model Health Show. It's a health-related show. He knows all the science, but he's super cool, and I just love all the story he, he tells. And he talks more about um, like mental health and just living uh, a rich life versus just like how to look better and, and, and stay fit. Um, can't give enough love to Lewis House, uh, School of Greatness, um, Seth Godin's podcast. Uh, you know, I live in the business section of, of podcasts, of course. Um, yeah, but I try to limit it as well because you can definitely get sucked into a rabbit hole. And as a content creator who has a lot of businesses, who he owns, who has a lot of things and responsibilities, I want to do th some things too. But as a as a podcaster, I love that people binge listen and, and that's what I want them to do. <laughs> that's amazing. All right. So, Pat, you've convinced me podcasting is still worth my time. But the next obstacle I can see coming up is, all right, you and Daryl both talked about spending hundreds of dollars on equipment, and this sounds super complicated. I don't think that I can do it. Like, it's writing on a blog is super easy. I just sit on my computer, I write it, and then I hit publish. This seems too complicated. I don't think I can do it. What would you say to somebody like that? I mean, getting into the mental space, anytime somebody says this seems too complicated, what that really means is, well, I don't understand how important this is yet. Because honestly, if it was that convincing to you, you would, no matter how complicated it was, figure it out, right? I mean, that's just, that's just the truth about what, what that really means. But I, but I understand what you're asking. And, and I'm here to tell you that it's not as complicated as it seems. There are a lot of people out there who can teach you how to do it right, how to do it easy. Uh, wink, wink, uh, by the way, that's me. Um, because there's a lot of people who can teach you how to do it, but there's there's a lot more to also being found, especially in the early days when you launch. Um, however, if you wanted to just go, okay, if this was the easiest way possible, what would it look like? It would look like getting on Anchor. You can get on Anchor, get an account, and start your podcast today just from your phone. Literally, that's all you need. However, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Uh, Anchor is a, a free platform. I always worry about putting content on free platforms. We've all seen what has happened when you do that and eventually they're going to need to pay investors and then advertising happens and 
things out of your control happen. So I worry about that for that reason. However, it's not that hard to get an account up on Buzzsprout or Libsyn, which is a media hosting company where you put your MP3 files and you can just use a little microphone called the ATR2100. That's the Audio-Technica ATR2100. Guess what? It just plugs into your computer via a USB. You don't need the the, the box and the uh, you know the the amplifier and, and none of that. You just need it to plug into your computer. That's a sixty dollar microphone. And then guess where? You can edit. You can edit on GarageBand or Audacity, which is a free tool for those who don't like GarageBand or are a PC user. There's still a few left of those. Uh, Audacity is that tool or GarageBand. And I edited my show on GarageBand for six years for free. Or nowadays, because podcasting is becoming more popular, you could hire somebody to help with the editing and all that technical stuff for you. I like and recommend doing it on your own a couple times first just to appreciate the art and the craft. But there's all these things that can help you now just so that you can be the content creator that you want to be. And um, it's not as expensive as you think and it's not as hard as you think anymore. You just got to want to do it. And I promise you there's some amazing opportunities that come on the other end of it. I love it. I think podcasting, I think the conversation kind of boils down to podcasting still really matters. And I, I think what happens, at least maybe this is what happens or how I perceive what happens is a fad will hit, like everybody starting a podcast and everybody, you know, starting a podcast, their mom starting a podcast, and then it kind of dies out and the new, exciting, shiny thing comes up. Uh, and, and I think what I'm hearing you say is that podcasting still really matters. And you're, you're sharing some really compelling stats about the number of podcasts that are out there. Talk to me about what's changed from podcasting since you started and then what you're excited about, what you'll be doing differently going forward. Uh, how do you think about it differently from when you started to now? And what are you excited about exploring on SPI and ASPAT uh, in the future? And, and it sounds like you have other shows, which if you can tease at those, I'd love to hear about them too. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I one of my other shows is called All of Your Beeswax. It's a show I do with my 10-year-old boy my 10 year old son. And that's a lot of fun. He's getting into it and he's getting understanding how to edit a show and get behind the microphone and gain confidence. I mean, I think parents should do this with their kids. It's a lot safer than doing YouTube. In my opinion, it's easy to talk. It's, it's harder to film a video and it's more risky, but yeah. Uh, so, so in terms of, uh, like how it used to be, it used to be a lot harder to get set up because actually the history of podcasting, it started in the late nineties and essentially it was a way for, uh, us to be able to put audio files in our RSS feeds and to have them embedded in there. And I think the first one was for like a, a, a song by the Grateful Dead, I think, that somebody figured out how to code to do to encode audio in an RSS feed and, and allow people to play that MP3. And then it was just something that people who knew how to code and who were super geeky about it knew how to do. Uh, subscribing to audio and having it be downloadable from an RSS feed. And then, of course, uh, companies like Libsyn came on board to help manage that and make it easier. So we never have to deal with the code at all. We just have to fill out a couple fields about what our episode's about and all that stuff. And everything's going to be good, easy peasy from there. And what I love about podcasting is a lot of that technical stuff you just have to do once. Because when you sign up for Buzzsprout or Libsyn or any of these uh, hosting companies, they give you an RSS feed that you then give to Apple. And then Apple just, that's how they know. They check in with you every few hours to see, do you, does Daryl have any new content? No, okay, no worries. If, the, if it does, then awesome. Let's send it out to all the subscribers who are there and, and, and have them go download that episode. And everything happens automatically. You just upload new files to your host and that's it. And, and what I love about this is 
the technology is going to get even easier from here and the equipment's going to get even cheaper and it's just going to be easier and easier for people to sound better and better and to make content production easier from an audio standpoint. And where I'm focused lately and I think where we all need to be focused on whether we're podcasting or not is just trying to tell the story better. I think storytelling is going to be a big theme for 2020 here and into the future for no matter what platforms you're on, how can you better hook people into the story, keep them on the edge of their seat and have them listen all the way through, thus building a relationship with you and or the person that's telling the story. And that's something I'm trying to do more on YouTube now. I'm trying to uh, bring that into the podcast. So whether you have a solo show and you're telling stories and teaching at the same time, or you have an interview show and you're interviewing others, asking people to tell the story behind the teaching and the lessons is really what's going to be powerful. And I think we all know that stories are amazingly powerful. And what better platform to tell stories on than a podcast, right? It just makes complete sense, especially even if you're having a conversation. One tip I have for anybody who has a podcast is if you want to get a story out of somebody, just go, well, tell me about the time when blank. Um, and that's it. I mean, I learned that from, uh, from, from other people, but it's just so simple, yet it's the most powerful kind of content in the world and stories. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm excited to, to share some uh, content marketing success stories this year on the Copy Blogger podcast. Uh, that's something that we're focusing Epic. on. By the way, are you well. going to unarchive your earlier episodes that never got published? I would love to hear that. Yeah, uh, that's a good <laughs> question. I'll have to see if I can actually. I'll have to see if I can find them. I think I recorded four or five of them. Uh, I'll have to see if I can find them. They're somewhere in a hard drive buried in, in my desk here. I'll have to see if I can. I'll send them to you for sure, and <laughs> okay, then we'll decide okay. if I should put them out. My first interview was so bad. I asked the person what their favorite food was. Like, what is this about? <laughs> like, I have no idea. It was so bad. That's amazing. What is your favorite food, by the way? Uh, buffalo wings. Oh, me too. Good man. All right. So let's get practical here and let's talk about content strategy uh, because what you had mentioned earlier is that you used to post three times a week on your blog and then once every other week with the podcast. How has that shifted over time? And I'm going to tease up a little bit about this um, kind of new advanced content strategy that um, we were able to work on through my agency. Uh, we'll talk about that at the end, but talk about how the content strategy has changed since you started to now. How often are you posting on the blog and the podcast, how did the relationship of the two work together? Yeah, I mean, for me, what's important is, well, where are people getting value? Where are they spending time? Where are they engaging? Where are they communicating? And it just became very obvious that more and more people were spending time listening to the podcast than they were reading the blog. I mean, there was a shift in about 2014, 2015 when that happened. Yet we still continued to publish blog content because that's just what we were trained to do. We switched to from three times a week to just one time a week. But then eventually we started to notice that people were looking forward to the podcast episodes. They weren't necessarily looking forward to the blog post. Not that they didn't want the blog post, but they just weren't getting as excited about them anymore. And when we started to look back, we started to understand that, well, we kind of were just publishing weekly so that we could publish weekly. There was no real purpose behind the, pod, the the blog posts that we were writing, even though, they, yes, they were SEO driven and they were about topics people were interested in, they were almost like filler posts, but it wasn't like anything to get excited about. It was just the usual stuff. Whereas on a podcast, you'd never know what that story was about or you would never guess like sort of what that guest did to make that happen, right? So there was always a reason to get excited about that new episode that popped up on your phone on Wednesday, not necessarily uh, enough of an excitement leading up to the blog post. So then we started to slow down a little bit more and then eventually we made the decision that like, well, why don't we just publish when we have something to say and when when something is important such that if we do publish something, well, 
then it's worth reading, right? And and so that's kind of where we're at now, because when we look back at the most engaged stuff on our on our website, the blog, it was the long tutorials, the deep detailed tutorials about things like podcasting. We have a free podcasting tutorial on our website. Um, we have a free tutorial about how to get your email uh, marketing sort of set up from the beginning. Uh, we have a free tutorial about how to do business fundamentals and the boring stuff, but from start to finish. And those are the things that we're getting, you know, the eight to 10 minute to 20 minute page time on site versus the other blog post, which is like, you know, one minute, 30 seconds, two minutes, 30 seconds, if that, because mostly people were just bouncing because it wasn't worth their time anymore. So why not offer things that are worth people's time that they can get excited about? And that's kind of where we're headed now. And we're building this sort of content strategy around that. And it involves, yes, blog content, but it involves a lot of other uh, key components that allow for more excitement to happen, which then thus obviously allows for better rankings in Google, hopefully, for more sharing of that content because it's, because it's worth ranking higher. It's worth sharing. And the other things weren't necessarily worth doing that. And I think part of it is also just the behavior change over time in people's consumption, attention spans, distractions. Um, I mean, social media has become a major thing in people's daily lives now. And that wasn't a, a thing back in, in the just blog days. Uh, now it's uh, sort of a combination of a whole bunch of things. And I think knowing your audience and where where they're at and what they want to consume and where is is the most important thing. All right. So you have the blog, the podcast. You also have a really successful YouTube channel. When you're thinking about your overall content strategy, how do you handle it all or juggle it all? Like, how do you think about cross-platform content strategies? Yeah, honestly, it's not super complicated. It's if we want to help somebody with something, well, what's the best way to tell that story or share that those those steps? And we just go, okay, well, that makes sense to be a blog post because there's so many things that you need to pay attention to and click on and look at and there's images and stuff. If, if we were to teach people uh, on a podcast how to set up, uh, you know, how to create a, I don't, I don't know, how to, how to do things, something that was a little bit more visual or tactical. Um, I mean, we could talk about it and tell stories around that. that. That would be fine. But then the primary sort of place um, as the podcast would make sense. We want to know, well, what's the primary area on in, within our brand where this should live? And then all things point there. All things should reference that you know, all, all that, all that stuff kind of happens after that. Uh, social obviously just becomes, hey, let's, let's let people know in all different kinds of ways until it finally hits with them. Um, not just blasting the same post over and over and over again until they finally do it, but looking for different ways, different entry points, different stories. Maybe some are more emotional. So let's start with a story. Some are more logical. So let's start with a stat. And that's kind of how social plays out. But when it comes to the main content platforms, like what's the best way for us to kind of introduce this topic and tell, tell it to people? And in some cases, it, it, it is, you know, going to be a story that's told on a podcast first. Or in other cases, it's, hey, let's show you how to do your email. Let's make it more visual, visually compelling with the uh, automation and visual sequences that are available in ConvertKit. And let's give them a demo of ConvertKit. And let's actually have that also drive affiliate sales for ConvertKit because we're affiliates and I'm an advisor for that company as well. So it kind of just is on a case-by-case -case basis. But it's nice because when you have all these things, you can, you can kind of choose and you're not forced to go, okay, well, we we want to tell the story, but we only have a blog to work with. And so let's just write the best words and hope that works versus, no, this would be a really compelling video. Let's let's do that. And then we can use the blog to support it with more things. But 
drive people back and even embed the video there and use uh, the podcast to do sort of an insider interview with the person who was featured in that story to go a little bit deeper. So people who capture the story on video who might want to go deeper because they're really compelled by it might go listen to the podcast. And then people who listen to the podcast with that little insider interview are going to go, what is this video thing that you're talking about? Like, I want to know. Let me go to YouTube to figure it out. And now a person's in our ecosystem. They're not on our blog. They're not on our podcast. They're in our ecosystem. And they can't help but build a great relationship with us. Yeah, that's really great. Kind of piggybacking on that, Pat, uh, you know, I, I knew you early on as, as somebody who part of the content that you put out was your income reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that you've since stopped. And, uh, you know, you started a second podcast. Uh, you started a YouTube channel. Like, how do you know when to start something new and add it to the repertoire of what you're doing? And then when to let something go as you're thinking about your content strategy as a whole? So for me, for new things, I allow for myself 20% of time during the week to try new things. I learned this from Ramit Sethi. I learned this from Google, who allows their employees, or so I hear, just a little bit of freedom and free time to just play and experiment, knowing that it could completely fail. I imagine it sort of like, you know, when you go to the casino and gamble, it's always best to have like a certain dollar amount that you're totally willing to lose, that if you lose it, you're fine. You're not going to go back into the ATM. You're not going to put your house on the line. It's just, here's $200. I'm going to play. If I win, awesome. If I lose, awesome. I'm still going to have a good time. And that's how I feel about this 20% of time. And if you want to break it down by week, that's just like one day a week where you're understanding that, okay, I'm going to try this new platform or try this new thing and dedicate that much time to it and just see what happens. And this, uh, for me most recently was a physical product that me and my videographer invented called the switch pod. Shout out to Caleb Wojcik. And this was something that I was using with my 20% of time that then just took off. We raised $415,000 on Kickstarter from this project. And it's now turned into a really cool business. But if it failed, it would have still been lessons learned and my rest of my business would have still been running. Um, and, 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 uh, and, and that's how I use that and utilize that 20% of time and allow for that. Because I think a lot of us have heard like, okay, just do the one thing and focus on that and, and be that and all things are that. But I think most of us have that creative entrepreneurial itch to at least try other things and to keep scratching that itch and, and to get excited about something that's not what we're doing all the time. That and, and controlling it in that way is kind of what's been working for me in the last couple of years. Um, in terms of when to drop something, that's a little bit deeper of a question because sometimes things um, just are obvious that they don't work and that's easy, right? Like just drop that, don't do that anymore. But you wanna give also something adequate time, in which case I always look to others who have succeeded with the thing that I'm trying to see, okay, well, what am I doing different? What am I doing wrong? How much time should I give it? I also look to those people to go, is this even worth doing? Even if this were to be successful, is this worth the continuation of my time and effort and team into this? Because sometimes you might get into something because it's fun and exciting, but then over time, it's just gonna be boring and a chore for you. And you can look forward to those who are doing it full time or who has that a major part of their life to understand, well, is that how you want to be? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs think about the business itself and not how it affects their life. And I want people to start thinking about more of their life and how these business decisions affect their life too, which I've uh, dove in really into a lot. As you can tell, I've been thinking a lot recently about the mental side of business versus just like the numbers. Um, But part of it's gut too. Like sometimes something isn't working the way you thought you, you want it to work and it's not going the way you wanted it to. And it's just, maybe it's just not the right time and you've given it, the other thing is just giving it adequate amount of time. You know, you focused, you know, you put an effort. The other thing I see a lot of entrepreneurs do is they say they're going to do something and they want it to work, but 
and then it's not working, but they actually haven't given it enough time or actually haven't really executed on it because they're distracted by another thing. So one new thing at a time with the one thing you're doing right now makes sense to me. And then really following your gut. You have to listen to your intuition every once in a while. And I also love to utilize the relationships I have with other uh, influencers, other other entrepreneurs, other business owners who may be able to help me read the label a little bit better because it's hard to read the label when you're inside the bottle. And we're all inside our own bottle and we need other people on the outside to tell us, Pat, that's that's not working and it doesn't seem like it's going to work for you. And sometimes it takes somebody on the outside to tell you that brutal truth for you to go, to kind of snap out of it and go, yeah, you're probably right. And um, and then you can just finally make a decision from there and sort of, instead of just being in limbo the whole time. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, I interviewed Matt Ragland uh, on this podcast a few episodes ago and he talked about how he had his YouTube channel and after 60 something videos, he still only had 400 subscribers and it was almost overnight. The 70 something video uh, is when he had thousands of people begin subscribing to his channel. And I'm so I'm always amazed at people who know how and when to stick through something. Uh, but then you also see people who go years and years and years and they maybe should have given up on something. So I think the mental side of it, you talked about the gut a little bit like there, there are a lot of aspects that go into it. So I really appreciate you kind of you kind of swung through all of the things that I, I think are super important when we're deciding what to start and what to stop. But I have to ask, what are some of the things you're experimenting with now or trying now? Well, I'm uh, dedicating a lot of time on SwitchPod still. I mean, this is still a relatively new project for us, even though it's been in the works for two years. The t- first two years, it wasn't like I was working on this thing every day either. It was a lot of R&D, research and development. It was a lot of, hey, we got the plans to the manufacturing plant. Now we got to wait four weeks to get the prototype kind of thing. So there was a lot of time. And now it's really picked up, especially now that we're on Amazon. I mean, we're selling 18 to 25 units a day now. We had a conversation with somebody about potentially getting in a big box store. I mean, big things are happening. And, and that's taking up a lot of my extra time that I would have normally had. But I'm also experimenting a lot with some live events and workshops. That's been a fun thing uh, within the SPI uh, realm and business that we've been focusing on in terms of just how else may we be able to provide value to the existing audience that we have. SwitchPod was very much brand new audience, videography. I'm, I'm not a videographer. I mean, I have a YouTube channel, but I, I'm not really in that space. And we took an opportunistic-based approach to solving a small little friction in that area and built something pretty incredible that people have been responding to. But within the current business model of SPI, it's really been about, okay, well, people are coming into our online courses, and that's been amazing and fantastic, and we're continuing to come out with other courses down the road that are serving our audience. But there are more intimate ways to solve those problems with people who many are willing to spend more money to fly to San Diego to be a part of a workshop. Um, and, and that's been really neat and fun. And last year I held my first live event, uh, my first big live, uh, big live event called FlynnCon. And it was bringing the team Flynn community. That's my audience to come to town, to hang out with me for two days and, uh, bust through like a lot of, uh, things to help them level up in their business. And we're doing FlynnCon two this year, uh, which is really fun in San Diego in mid July. And it's just a lot of fun because a lot of people bring their families and kids too. And it's a family friendly event from no swearing on stage to kids activities to do during the event to actually bringing kids on stage to have them teach to a lot of fun things. So that's where I've been experimenting too in terms of my time is how to create um, more heightened experiences. It's something I talk about in my book, Super Fans, is taking this audience that you have who more knows you online and taking them offline to help build better, bigger, deeper relationships, which can ultimately help your business more. 
And that was the perfect segue because I wanted to talk about Superfans, your book that just came out uh, the middle of 2019. Uh, such a great book. Thank you. Um, I, I've read through it once all the way through, and then I reference certain different points and conversations that I have all the time. But tell us a little bit about the book um, and, and why you wrote it. Yeah, I mean, Superfans, when you look at it tactically, it's like it's not anything new. I mean, everything I talk about in the book is stuff that you already know. But it's a reminder about what's most important when it comes to building our businesses. And the way I want to frame it for all of you, because I know a lot of you are very knowledgeable in the world of marketing and stuff, is I want you to imagine a funnel, right? At the top of the funnel, you have just traffic coming into your website or, or you know, landing page or whatever. And a certain number of them become email subscribers. A certain number of them become uh, go to your sales page or webinar, right? And a certain number of them become customers. And then, yay, like we finished and all is well. And all you need to do is bring more traffic in. You have these systems systems in place and there's lovely numbers involved with that and you can just if you can increase your conversions by from from one to two percent you've already doubled your income like all these amazing things happen when you get familiar with a funnel but you know what gets forgotten with the funnel is the customer experience because it's not just the moment they find you and they come into the funnel it's not just when they become a customer either there's so many other things that you can do after that, and I'm not just talking about the funnel after the funnel, I'm talking about a person's experience through your brand from the moment they find you to the point at which I want you to bring them to you, which is where they're a super fan who literally will carve your head out of wood because they're such a huge fan of you. Maybe that's a little bit creepy, but like they're such a huge fan. If you've ever heard of the article called The Thousand True Fans by Kevin Kelly, then you know what I'm talking about. A true fan is somebody who, if you're, at a, mu- if you're a musician, they're gonna wait backstage to, to, to get your selfie four hours after the set. Uh, if, if, if you're a product owner, they're gonna be standing in line um, on the streets a day before the product comes out because they wanna be first in line to get your product, like those kinds of people. And his article said, Kevin Kelly, if you have a thousand of those super fans, those true fans, you have, if you imagine they on a low end pay $100 a year for your art, your craft, your work, your service, whatever, $100 a year. I mean, a lot of us spend $100 a month on things like cable that we don't even really watch. $100 a year times 1,000 people, that's you're, you're at a six-figure business already from there. And of course, when you get 1,000, you can get 2,000, you can get 3,000 super fans. Plus, when you think about this, especially for you beginners out there, that's just a fan a day for less than three years. Can you create one fan a day for less than three years? A lot of you probably have been working for longer. What if you were just creating a fan a day for this whole time? You could have had a major business with a following that will be there to wave your flag high, support you no matter what, defend you from all the trolls, to be your first customers in line always, your repeat customers, your best customers, your most outspoken people who are always in the comment section. You don't need very many of them to do amazing things. So what this book does is it tells you how to take people from the moment they find you because fans aren't created the moment they find you. They're created by the moments you create over time. So how to create lots of different moments from that first moment to the moment that they are just, you know, in your $25,000 mastermind program. That's what the book teaches you how to do. And there's some very clear strategies on how to do that. And again, it's not anything new. It's just using the new technology and the new avenues that we have to reach people to do these things and connect with our audience in that way. I love it. It's a really good book. I highly recommend it. Uh, It was one of my favorite reads of 2019. Tell me a little bit about the book from like a business standpoint. What, did you traditionally publish it? Did you 
self-publish it? Why did you decide to write a book in the first place instead of creating a course or writing more blog posts or starting another podcast? Yeah, this book actually came as a result of a very popular presentation that I gave, which was actually back in 2014. I gave this presentation called How to Create Raving Fans, uh, which later got adopted to super fans. But uh, that was at New Media Expo back when that, uh, that program existed. And Somebody or a few people in the audience saw that. They started talking about it. They started inviting me to their conferences to speak about the same topic. And I've spoken about it dozens of times since then. And then uh, San Diego Social Media Day 2017, Jay Bear, who's a good friend of mine, came up to me. He's from Convince and Convert. And he said, Pat, you need to turn this talk into a book. It is so good. It's so well-structured. And of course it was. I had done it dozens of times. I've fine-tuned it since then. So when I wrote the book, it was great because... I already knew what I was going to be talking about. It was just extracting these stories, adding more support, um, going deeper into it, uh, those kinds of things. So uh, kudos and thanks to Jay Bear. Um, and this has uh, since become probably my best piece of work, to be honest. I'm so proud of it. And the reaction from the audience and the fans who are already putting the the work in to get results, even after the first couple chapters, is amazing. And every single day, new messages from people reading it, getting results from it. I had self-published my previous book, Will It Fly, which went on to become a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And that was published through Amazon and it was through CreateSpace uh, that has since merged with Amazon, but that allowed me to create sort of print on demand. Um, but it was self-published and it was on Kindle, obviously, audiobook too. This time I wanted to try something a little bit different. As uh, you already know, I love experimenting. So I've been working with a company called New Type Publishing, which allows me to still self-publish this book and keep a lot of the royalties, but also get distribution as well. So in addition to self-publishing and owning a lot of the royalties, keeping all the rights, I also have the book in Barnes & Noble. And it's also the bookstores at the airport and in other places where there are books sold. And that's been really neat to have a self-published book be sort of automatically in Barnes & Noble without trying because of uh, Ryan and the team there at New Type Publishing and their connections um, and, 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 and their buyers at these, as, at these other stores and stuff. It's been really neat and it's been really fun to see that happen. And, and I love the model um, and the audiobook is, is, is flowing and, and going well too. And I'm just having so much fun with it, but it's, it's a neat model. I love it. And I'm, I'm all for self-publishing because then we can have more control over the content and, and, and really any traditional publisher is going to ask you to market your book for you anyway. I might as well keep more of the royalties and I'm thankful that I have uh, a, quite a sizable audience to, to promote it to, um, when it came out. So thanks for the support. I appreciate that. I hope everybody picks it up and enjoys it. I, I promise you it'll get you some results. Yeah, I've known Ryan from New Type for for a few years. He's uh, a friend, and what they're doing is really, really cool to allow you to be able to self-publish your book, retain the rights, but also have the power of what some of the traditional publishing offers as well. I think it's really cool, and uh, glad that you've had a good experience there with them yeah, as thank well. You. Thank you. Pat, this has been awesome. We we have spanned a lot of the, the Pat Flynn world and the Smart Passive world, uh, Smart Passive Income world. I love it. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. Thank you for kind of peeling back the curtain on why you do what you do and uh, sharing with us the, the way that you think about your content marketing and, the, and specifically in your podcast so much today. Uh, I appreciate you being with us on the show. Thank you. Thank you for your time and attention, everybody. Daryl, you're amazing. Keep up the great work here at Copy Blogger, and I'm looking forward to uh, being back on the show at some point in the future. All right. Talk soon. Talk soon. Talk soon.